0: On an individual basis, our careers mean a lot to us. And being able to intertwine our purpose within that is success in itself. But how difficult is this to do in reality? Uh, Bobby, I don't know about you, but I've had a long, hard journey to get to a point where I felt a deep sense of purpose in my work. You know, I, I think I've been lucky to do interesting work, to do cool work, to do challenging work. But it's really only when we started getting into this bigger idea around business as a force for good that I started to feel... Uh, a deeper sense of purpose and meaning.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, our journey to finding a real sense of uh, fulfillment and meaning in the work that that we're doing is hard. You know, it it is really hard. And and I think because of that, you and I both try to be very real about the fact that it isn't like some magical utopian thing that you just fall into overnight. It, It really is a journey. You know, I found that purpose isn't really just like a, a light switch that like you turn on and off you your working in your life. It's more like a like a dimmer nod where you you, you just continually like turn it up a little bit more day after day, week after week, year after year. And then you look up and that light feels alive in you. You feel like you're you're doing work that feels purposeful, you feel like you're doing work that feels meaning, you you feel like it is is there and to be on this purpose journey to have that part of you feel like is being dialed up a little bit more each day. No, it, it, it isn't easy, but it's, it really is an incredible and worthwhile journey.
0: Welcome to the final installment of Good is a New Cool to Field recordings.
1: My name is Afdhal Aziz. And what's up, I'm Bobby Jones. We're two friends who have dedicated our lives and careers to helping others find ways to use their talents and passions to create a better world. Today, Good is the New Cool connects and serves a global community of world-changing entrepreneurs, creators, and innovators using business and culture as forces for good. We're also the co-founders of Conspiracy
0: of Love, a global purpose consultancy helping brands like Adidas, Red Bull, Microsoft, and Oreo help create social impact. In this podcast, we take you through the stories and people who inspired our new book, The Principles of Purpose. In the book, we outline nine principles designed to help business leaders attract the new generation of socially aware consumers, as well as the most talented purpose-driven employees.
1: Throughout this series, we've been behind the scenes on a journey through the interviews and events surrounding the book, all in the hopes of inspiring you to harness the power of purpose for yourself.
0: The importance of making purpose profitable is something we often come back to, but in this episode, we will be taking a more focused look at the balance between purpose and business and how both can not only support, but inform the other.
1: You know, there's this quote that you and I both love by Anne LePay, who says that every dollar you spend is a vote for the kind of world that you want. And I feel like that is, is true now more than ever. Um, in terms of people's realization that every dollar that they have is is really the way, or if not the way, a way um, that they can really help drive change. You know, you could just see the number of people who want to wear their values and to drive their values and to drink their values and eat their values. Like it's kind of this, this moment where we're at where it, it's that desire, I think, for people to support brands and to buy brands, you know, that embody those values, I think is really inspiring a lot of companies to actually talk about what they care about, what those values are in ways that, you know, a lot of companies previously just, they were either too afraid to, they didn't know what their values were, or they just felt like, You know, if they talked about those values, people would be like, why you talk to me about this? I just want to know what the price is and what the color is. Mm. And I think now people are just like, you know, a lot of the brands are really wanting to to really talk about what they care about. And I think COVID and Black Lives Matter um, and the climate crisis, those things have just accelerated it. It's like people care about these things Mm. and people want to know, do you care about this too? Because if not, I need to spend my money with someone who will. And I think that this this young generation I think was really, really instrumental in that in setting a new price for their dollars and their advocacy. Mm. And I think we're all benefiting from from that shift. Yeah,
0: I think we are now seeing generations of people who've grown up with companies and advertising and, and promises who are deeply skeptical of everything they've been told in the service of being sold to. And there is a deep, cynicism at companies and their promises and the manipulations that is causing a lot of distrust in the relationship between consumers and corporations and for good measure too like we talk about in the book companies have been responsible for some of the greatest criminal acts against humanity in the world from pollution, to exploitation, to corruption and fraud, the list of wrongs the companies have done in the, on the planet in service of a profit motive is gigantic. So I think what we're now seeing is a new relationship between consumers and, and companies where it's a lot more um, critical and it's a lot more empowered. Consumers understand the power they have over corporations. We're living in an attention economy right now. Um, they understand the power of their attention. They understand how technologies like social media have leveled the playing field. Companies don't control the narrative anymore. Uh, it's, it's controlled out there in social media. Um, companies can get canceled much faster by regular everyday people. And so in this new era, what is also interesting is is as you beautifully sum up in that quote from Ann Lappi. it's they're realizing the power of voting with their wallets. And it's two ways. It used to be the only way you could you know, influence a company was through a boycott. you know. And as our, our friend Robert Egger says, this is now about the power of the boycott, saying, if you stand up for our values, if you truly do that in an authentic, meaningful, tangible way, no bullshit, no flowery speeches, but you actually do it in a way that is meaningful, then you get our money. You get our custom, you get our loyalty, you get our advocacy. The truly great companies are the ones who realize this, who realize they're living in an era of radical transparency and who show up with that knowledge that they have to earn people's trust. That's why it's such a turning point in capitalism as companies wake up and realize this is the new normal. In an era where consumers are more savvy, social impact is at the forefront, and changemakers are being celebrated, finding this balance between business and purpose has never been more important.
1: One company that embodies this sentiment more than most is TOMS. As their mission statement puts it, from day one, TOMS has been committed to using business to improve lives. For Amy
0: Smith, now the Chief Strategy and Impact Officer at TOMS, this is an important element of her life's work. Having switched between careers in both the nonprofit and the business world, Amy has spent a lot of time bridging the gap between business and purpose in the hopes of creating change that is flexible, tested, but also profitable.
1: And as you will hear, Amy's intelligent, thoughtful, and a true expert when it comes to business and giving.
2: I um, started my career in for-profit. I was in technology working for Apple Computer, which was a really exciting time to be there. Um, and did, did lots of different things for them, kind of everything but the Macintosh, if you will. Um, and then uh, moved on to startup, like everybody else in the Bay, uh, and had a great experience there doing business development and project management, and really kind of honing my skills on a in a fast-moving entrepreneurial space. Uh, and then I went to a nonprofit, which was a really interesting, like something I never thought I would do. Um, but I went to the largest organization dedicated to volunteer service uh, with a very heavy corporate emphasis. Um, but they were going through a merger, and it was a really interesting time to be part of an organization on the nonprofit level. And so when it was time to leave there, I had this moment of like, I think I wanna go back and do something in the for-profit space. But after having that nonprofit experience, I knew it wasn't just gonna be sort of back to business, if you will. Uh, and so really kind of did some reflecting and thinking about how can I bring this profit and purpose sort of together, kind of not even knowing that was the language. Um, and how do I take all of this learning and sort of becoming a translator between the business and the nonprofit world
0: From the get go, the lines between profit and purpose were always intertwined for Amy. And when thinking where she could maximize his insight, that was one place that quickly jumped to mind, Tom's.
2: So of course, Tom's is like the place everybody wants to be. And I feel incredibly grateful that my journey has brought me here in the role of our chief giving officer, which you know, at Tom's it's a really special place to be in that role because it is integrated into the business. Uh, and that's something that I really wanted personally. I wanted to be in a role that was intimately integrated with the business and that everything the business was doing had an impact on our on our impact and our giving efforts and everything the giving was doing had an impact on our sales. And probably the main reason I came is I'm so excited to see if that can work at scale, right? I'm so excited to see if a company like Tom's that gives at an unprecedented level can scale uh, and can continue to give at that kind of a level. So because I think then we can be kind of the hopefully inspiration or at least guinea pig for other companies that are trying to do this. And there's lots of small, amazing companies out there doing this, but I don't know if any of us have cracked the nut on going to scale.
1: At the time of this interview in February of 2020, Tom's had given away 93 million pairs of shoes. Now that number has risen above 95 million. What's more, they also gave the highest percentage of net profit than any other company. That's 40 to 50% of their net profit.
2: And that's something we're incredibly proud of. It's something that we're very committed to over the long term and something that we hold firm regardless of what's happening with the business. And I think that that's a really important part of ensuring that those concentric circles of business and impact are always there.
1: You know, in the book, one of the principles that we talk about is purpose must be profitable to be scalable. And I think Tom is a great example of a business that was built with that mindset from day one. They actually built a model where those two things were inextricably linked. Um, the more profitable we were, the more scalable we were. That desire to help people while having that business mindset of scale and impact. Is the perfect marriage, and you know I can see why being at Tom's excited her that opportunity to to do both and, and to and to make an impact that was far probably far beyond what she could ever do, uh, strictly in the nonprofit space. And I think the other thing you know, there's another principle that we we talk about as well is this idea that purpose is about putting your money where your mission is. And I think one of the most remarkable things about Tom's is the fact that they actually give away 40 or 50% of their profits. That's a that's a huge amount of profit for anybody who ever has run a business or managed a p and I mean, can you imagine getting to the point where you have a profit and you've already predetermined that half of that is going to go away uh, to support some of the causes and things that you believe in? I mean, you talk about putting your money where your mission is. I mean, that's that.
0: From their humble beginnings, Tom's has gone from strength to strength, starting with their simple but genius one-for-one model where you buy a pair of shoes and they give a pair.
2: The Tom's one-for-one model took off like wildfire. So much so in a way that we had an unprecedented number of giving that we needed to do in order to catch up with the promise we made to our customers. But we were committed to doing that in an authentic way.
1: Now Blake McCoskey is the founding brains behind Tom Shoes. A legend in the purpose-driven world.
2: The first shoe drop, which is exactly what it was called, was Blake and his friends and his family off the back of a truck handing shoes to children in the street. Um, we've learned a lot since then, but we all start somewhere, right? And so for us, the most critical thing was let's listen to our partners, let's understand how this is how this is working, how it should work and what is going to be the most value. So we work to integrate our shoes into their programming.
1: At the time, they had worked with over 90 giving partners. That number has since risen to 205. Tom's treated each one like customers, ensuring the right impact was made, and the communities received exactly what they needed.
2: We work with the giving partners to provide them with an experience that would be like a customer experience. What shoes do you want? Here are the silhouettes we have available. What are you using them for, and how can we help you choose the right silhouette for the usage? What are your program goals, and how can we help with the shoes to integrate into those program goals? So those were sort of some of the first questions that we asked. So it's really a a way for us to not just say, hey, here's some stuff, do you want it? It's much more, Here's an order form. When do you need these shoes? We treat them like a customer, and we ensure that their shoes get delivered to them on time in the way that they request them. We need to make sure that the partner could actually accept the shoes in a way. So, do you have storage facility? Do you have volunteers or paid staff that can distribute the shoes and make sure that the child gets a shoe that is well-fitted, appropriately sized? Because, Even now at 93 million, we're probably not giving a child their first pair of shoes any longer, but we may be giving them their first pair of new shoes that are well-fitting and appropriate for the activity that they're engaging in. So those were all things that were really important to us as we started out kind of taking the next steps on the shoe.
0: And just to clear it up, when they say one for one, the shoe they give is not the shoe you buy. It's much more thought out than that.
2: We have four silhouettes currently. These were all co-designed with our giving partners that are using the shoes. The most requested shoe is a canvas shoe. So it's similar to our Alp but the base is much sturdier, Um, The canvas is a heavier grade. They're not quite as fashionable, but they are much more durable so that they last longer for the activities that the children are are using them for. They're also oftentimes appropriate to complete a school uniform so that the child can use those shoes to go to school and and have the appropriate attire for for school. Because in in many countries, if you don't have the school uniform complete, you actually can't attend school. The second silhouette is uh, a wet weather shoe. So really durable, washable, um, it's very breathable, but it's for really wet weather climates. Then we have an athletic shoe. We get this in the United States quite a bit in some of the healthy lifestyle programs um, and some of the sports activities programs. So kids who don't have appropriate fitting right for activity sports shoe now have one that they can participate in the activities. And fun fact, this shoe was actually redesigned by a group of the kids because the first version we put out was not quite cool enough. So kids helped us redesign it.
0: So Bobby, I don't know about you, but I fell in love with Toms when they first came out. I remember seeing them in a store, trying them on and going, these are a great pair of shoes. And then realizing that this was a social impact brand, that the pair of shoes I had just bought would create uh, an opportunity for somebody in another country to get their own pair of shoes. To me, it was love at first sight. And I'll tell you, I'm such a huge fan of Toms. I got married in a pair of Toms and it was deeply important to me to wear those shoes on my wedding day as a symbol of my values. Um, My wife, by the way, was wearing an incredible pair of Fendi shoes, by the way. So we were complete polar opposites, Um, (laughs) but I'll always be glad they were part of that moment. Um, And you and I, in our previous lives, we were students of pop culture, right? And we were acutely aware of signifiers and symbols of how people communicated cool, right? And that was a striking thing. You know, I remember being on a subway and looking around the carriage and saying, there's eight people in here wearing Toms. That's crazy. And to me, they kind of became a cultural signifier in much the same way wearing a Chanel T-shirt, you know, with the big interlocking Cs would have been in the 80s or, you know, a pair of Shelto Adidas would have been, you know, they became... symbol and fashion, but unlike the predecessors, they were both good and
1: cool. You know, I I think that introduction to the world through their values and through the product, they told a story that was unlike all the other stories that were being told during that time. It was a purpose-driven narrative, right? It was just like, here's why we exist. Here's the change we want to see in the world. Here are the products that we create based on that. And here's how, if you want to see that same change, you can be part of it. Like, come along with us. And I I think they were really, in in some ways, kind of pioneers in that that narrative at at that time. It's interesting now to see how many people are trying to figure out how to tell their version of that story almost, well, over 10 years later.
0: You cannot underestimate the power of the blinding simplicity of one-for-one. It was like idiot-proof marketing. (laughs) Like it was perfect word of mouth. Our friend Russ Stoddard, you know, from this wonderful purpose-driven agency, Oliver Russell says, the goal of a purpose-driven company is not to tell a story, but to be the story. Through that one-for-one model, Tom's became the story. And that's why... Um, there are now, I believe, over 1,800 brands that practice a one-for-one model in dozens of categories because um, it's just such a simple way for people to get involved. I don't have to fill out anything. I don't have to give you my information. All I have to do is buy these pairs of shoes and magically this good happens. Uh, that's what I think made it such a, a rocket ship when it came out.
2: We never give shoes for shoes sake. We always give shoes to these partners to be integrated into their programming as incentive for mothers to come and get vaccinations or prenatal care, uh, as completing a school uniform so children can go to school. There's a a variety of different ways that we look at our program integration. So if TOMS ever was to go away, we wouldn't negatively impact that program in a significant way. Uh, And that's really an international best practice, international development best practice that I feel very fortunate to have international development experts on my, on my team right here at TOMS. And I think that that's another really important part of how we ensure that we're doing busing class giving and learning all the time from our giving partners.
0: And, and this is a perfect segue to talk about one of those pernicious myths that's permeated about TOMS, yeah. which was the whole shoe dumping thing, yep. right? So just to explain the whole shoe dumping accusation, Because Tom's gives away so many millions of pairs of shoes, um, there was an accusation leveled at them that by quote-unquote dumping shoes into local economies, they would rob the livelihoods of local shoemakers and shoe companies as well. But Tom's took it on the chin. And as with every other turn in the company, they saw it as an opportunity to learn.
2: Look, I think the most important thing to know is that we are a learning organization We've not figured it all out. We're committed to progress, not perfection. And I think any of us that are focused on perfection are going to miss the opportunity to have positive impact. And so we've embraced that. That also means if you choose that model, you have to listen to your critics. You have to embrace what they're trying to tell you and in one, test it out and make sure what they're saying is accurate. And two, make the necessary changes you need to make to constantly be improving. And so when we got started getting feedback about, oh, Tom Shoes is having this really negative impact on local economies and things like that, we commissioned a study. Test this. Is this actually true? Are we having a negative impact? Because that's the last thing we want to do, right? And long story short, many months of studies, I have a 57 page report. You know, the conclusion was that there was no significant reliable set of data that said we were having a negative impact in these communities that we weren't giving at a significant enough level and that when a a family was given shoes were they not spending that those dollars on shoes or in the local economy and in general the answer was no They were still spending the same amount. They just were able to redirect those dollars to other things that they needed. So we felt good about that. But at the same time, we still felt like there were changes we could make. So we thought, well, how can we support the local community more effectively? And so one of the commitments that we made back in 2014 was to ensure that our manufacturing as often as possible was where we actually gave. And so that commitment started at one third of our manufacturing being in communities where we give. So it's been a commitment that we're excited to be able to maintain and something that we we are really committed to over the long term.
1: Although Tom's handled the rumors like true business professionals, it didn't mean that the rumors and myths about them stopped there.
2: Oftentimes people will say, Oh, well, it's, it costs them money to take your, to take your shoes or it costs them money to give these shoes that aren't really needed. Right. And so we do a, an LMC. We call it for short around here, but it's a last mile contribution and it's, and it's a dollar amount on a per pair basis that provides an unrestricted grant to that organization to help them with storage facility for shoes, to help them pay labor to distribute the shoes, to help them with on-the-ground transportation, um, so that there is no incremental expense to the organization to take the product. And that's been a really important part of our partnership and something that our giving partners are very grateful for our understanding. that. We want to take these, but we can't allocate other unrestricted dollars to doing it. So that's, that's one that I think, you know, is kind of a a myth that's out there about our shoe giving. The other I think is this, this idea of you don't really know what kind of what you're doing almost, right? A little bit of like, well, the nonprofits know what they're doing. And we say yes to that all day long. Um, They are the experts. They know what their communities need. They understand what the challenges are in those communities. And we work in very close partnership with them and we fully leverage their expertise. So we're very quick to defer to those giving partners.
1: Even with the best intentions, every business takes a hit at bad press at some point. You know, even Tom's—they were not immune from that. And, and it was—it was interesting that Tom's came under such criticism. Um, you know, given how long they were—they were held up as kind of the beacon of responsible uh, business and, and, and conscious capitalism in that way. But it—you know—it it shows that even when, that when you fall short, there will be people that will that will point that out and. Uh, I think, well, that you have to listen to them. And sometimes your critics are right. Uh, And it doesn't mean that they're haters. It just means that they expect better from you. And they're willing to point out where you fall short of that in an effort to make sure that you live up to what you can be and what they expect you to be and the promises that you've made. And so I thought it was really interesting how Toms and Amy responded to that criticism and, and what they decided to do after it.
0: Yeah, I do think actually, unfortunately, Tom's had a lot of people who weren't just, you know, challengers, but who actually hated them. And I think also when you put this against the context of this incredible cynicism that people have towards business in general, the fact that there was a company that was saying, no, we're in business to do good. This is the good we do, that they became a focal point for all of those haters out there who said, business can never be a force for good. There is always some nefarious ulterior motive behind them. And I think they became a flashpoint uh, for a lot of this criticism because they were the poster child for this new form of capitalism. And sometimes to be the first, you have to take the hits. I, I think that's another part of the Tom story that doesn't get recognized enough. How much resilience they needed to have to keep going in the face of all of this, this criticism, how they patiently addressed the different critics out there with diligence and respect and with humility.
2: So that was kind of our humble beginnings. And like I said, we continue to um, evolve as we go. And so we were doing shoes for a while and then had an experience with vision and the impact that we realized we could have on people's sight, we started eyewear. And so for each pair of eyewear someone was to purchase, we restored someone's sight. Really working in rural communities, whether that be through outreach camps where professionals would go into rural communities and provide uh, vision support, or if we were investing in more uh, peri-urban or rural locations called vision centers, or supporting cataract surgeries. Uh, So really proud of that work and then kind of went on to do coffee and safe water, uh, safe birth with our bag line, anti-bullying with our backpacks, time or solar with our watch bands.
1: The success of One for One was clear and each product had its own clear impact goal. However, it was time to take a moment to stop and think.
2: Hold on, maybe maybe having a new give and a new product every year, it might not make sense for us. Are we having as much impact as we possibly can have with this unprecedented level of giving? And that's probably when I joined, kind of the first question I asked, right? Uh, And are there any sacred cows? Like I assumed if I brought that question to Blake, he would say, no, 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 don't touch one for one, right? And he didn't. He didn't because he's an incredibly self-aware, passionate, driven by the impact person. And so... That really opened the door for us to explore where else might we have impact? Um, and we all know the world around us is significantly changed, right? Even in the last three to five years. Uh, and so the issues are more complex than they ever have been. And so it gave us this moment of pause to think about, okay, what else could we do? So our ability to kind of bring together The product piece and the impact piece through storytelling was really important because we knew whatever we did next probably wasn't on day one going to be as simple as one for one. Right now we're talking about the complexity of some of these really systemic issues and how might Tom's play a meaningful role in supporting our giving partners and addressing some of that. So those were kind of sort of the first steps that have led us up to to some of the adventures that we're on now.
1: The gift and the curse of blending the superpowers of being both business and impact-driven, you know, have, I think this is where you see kind of the dark side of that. And there's so many ways that as a social impact company, you want to make a positive impact. And you also want to grow the business at a way that allows you to do it, that you become so diverse and so broad that you kind of begin to lose focus. And, and that just kind of feels like what happened during this time and, and what they were were experiencing.
0: That's why there are such great examples of this, this principle of purpose being a journey, not a destination. And you know, I, I have to give full credit to Blake as well. I, you have to kind of admire somebody who had the humility and the confidence to move away from the one-for-one model, which is so closely associated with his success and give his team the freedom to explore uh, where else they could have impact. I can't think of many founders who have that openness to doing something like that. And, And I think that's a crucial part of this idea of purpose being a journey, not a destination. You have to... Be willing to let go of the past to figure out what's in your future.
2: So um, it's scary to say out loud, but we're getting comfortable with it in that not all of Tom's giving will be one for one going forward. Because the world around us is changing, because the issues that we're facing are complex, because the consumer has a different perspective on what they care about and how they want it to go, we felt like this was an opportunity for us to take that next step. And in order to do that, uh, we wanted to be able to add to our giving portfolio around impact grants. The, The first one most people probably have heard about, or hopefully they have, was around ending gun violence. And so we're not looking to be the ending gun violence company now. We were the one for one, now we're ending gun violence. But we are looking to say, where else can we have impact in a meaningful way where we can enter humbly, where we can put some money in, where we can have a... Uh, engagement with our with our supporters and kind of work that formula because we think that that's good for the world and it's good for business um, and I think many one-for-one companies on a tangent a little bit but many one-for-one companies or other purpose-driven companies shouldn't be apologetic for the profit piece of this that's what makes the engine work um, and customers are voting with their wallet so I think we should say this is good for business
1: you know, one of our previous episodes that, that I loved, and, and for you listen, if you haven't listened to Dan Goldenberg from Call of Duty uh, Endowment, definitely go back and check it out. But one of the things that he spoke about that that resonated with me was how often business people check their their business marks at the door, and the reality is that being business minded and supporting a cause is actually a superpower in itself, and, and it can it, it can really increase the level of impact and the good that you can do while also growing your your business it really makes me think of this idea of how do we look at applying a business mindset to some of the problems while not losing sight of the humanity and the systemic things that are underneath mm. it and so you know business brings ingenuity it brings a real mindset around scale it brings process. It brings all of these different things, all these powerful tools, and you couple that with a sense of responsibility and care, and compassion, and empathy, and with with a real strong set of values that that are underpin it. You can deliver massive levels of impact.
0: Yeah, and I I love that, and I also think that you know at Tom's the cause is the brand. Uh, it's so deeply embedded into the to the business model that you can't extricate it. Um, what you can do is evolve it though, which is what uh, Amy and a team have been doing uh, to keep up with the times. You know, and the other thing, the other quote would I've loved recently is uh, from Colin Mayer, and he says, the purpose of business is to create profitable solutions to the problems of people and planet, not to profit by creating problems for people and planet. And that's really the shift that we see in these truly purpose-driven companies. They're not only... Um, becoming good corporate citizens, quote unquote, by doing less harm, they're becoming highly profitable by doing more good. But when it comes to purpose-driven companies, there's one more critical component to success: authenticity.
2: Authenticity is probably one of our biggest values, right? And ensuring that we're doing the right thing first and then that it's right for business, right? And I think that that is where you will see the most success in purpose-driven companies. I think where they are doing it because it's on trend or doing it because it's bandwagon or they think they might make one more sale, I think the savvy consumer sees right through it and I don't think it's gonna be successful for them. And we've been talking about this. This is so, it although it might feel like Oh, they just went into gun violence. Like, uh, remember, again, I'm sort of talking about like this year leading up to what kinds of changes do we want to make and how are we going to go about uh, increasing our impact through different ways of working? And so this was kind of all in the works. And we'd started kind of uh, leaking our own story around stand for tomorrow. And that's kind of the new tagline. So, from one for one to stand for tomorrow. And that we need to stand together to improve and to make the world a better place.
1: This journey that both Amy and Tom's went on left Amy with a few important lessons that she now carries with her.
2: So the first is surround yourself with the experts and do it really, really fast. The second is be humble. And so that's kind of natural for Tom's anyway. Um, so that one was easy. Uh, we're not the experts. We'll never be the experts in this. But we've got to learn as fast as we can. The, the third is sort of put your money where your mouth is. So we um, invested $5 million in supporting ending gun violence. It is the largest corporate gift given to date. And then the the last point was provide a place for your supporters to engage. And so along with the financial investment, we also invited our supporters, or really anyone that had passion about this, It didn't, was not tied to a purchase in any way, shape or form, to come to toms.com and to complete a postcard that we ultimately hand-delivered to the House of Representatives, urging them to pass HR 8, which is the universal background check. And so I, to be honest, I thought like, oh, a couple thousand people will do this. Like, let's put this cool thing up on the website. 730,000 people completed a postcard. And that just tells you how passionate people are, how they want to have a place to go and, Engage, And yes, you need to make it simple for them, and yes, you need to make it meaningful for them. But everybody wants to be part of the solution. And so, ending gun violence, although could be perceived as a really political issue, uh, for us, it's a human issue. 100 people die every single day because of gun violence, 100 people. As we sit here chatting, we will have lost two or three people in the United States to gun violence. That's not okay. There's nothing about that's okay, and there's nothing about that that's political. This is a public health crisis, and Tom's has stepped in to support.
0: You know, when they had this kind of moment where Blake, the the founder, had an epiphany um, around the Thousand Oaks shooting in 2018, uh, and as a parent and as a human being said, that's enough. Like we have to do something about this epidemic and mobilize Tom's, a company which really hadn't taken a position on on gun violence to get involved. It reminds me of uh, Levi's, another amazing company, when they took a stance on gun violence and critics said, what have you guys got to do with gun violence? Like you're a jeans company or a shoe company. And they did it because it was the right thing to do. They did it because these are brands that are about young people and they understood that this was a generational issue that was solvable, that was was something that could be addressed through smart legislation without infringing on people's rights. And that's how they really went back to the promise of what uh, Tom's is all about. Um, There is no person called Tom. (laughs) It's It's a shortened version of tomorrow. That's how that name ended up on the shoes. And they, they decided they needed to take a stand for tomorrow. And this is where it's wonderful to see uh, from that moment, how they really started to evolve the brand to look at all the things that affect uh, tomorrow's generation. Um, that's why I'm so excited to see where they go to next.
2: I think we're finding that a good bit um, with the younger millennials and Gen Z they think Tom's is cool, but one-for-one one shoes, eh, whatever, right? They are deeply passionate about mental health, about ending gun violence, about equality, deeply passionate about these issues in a way that, again, I find quite inspiring. Um, and they're not saying giving shoes is bad. They're not saying giving sight is bad. And Tom's is committed to those things. They're part of our heritage. We will continue to do that. Um, but they are looking at what are the issues in my backyard and how can I directly get engaged? And we want to be part of supporting that.
1: TOMS has helped change the lives of over 96 million people in 85 different countries. They have made over 780,000 site restorations, provided over 722,000 weeks of safe water, and committed over 6.5 million in impact grants. And they have so much more planned for the future.
2: Because we learned so much through the Ending Gun Violence Initiative and we're committed to that for the long term, we started to say, well, let's explore a little more. Let's see what are the other issues. And of course, driven by consumer insights and what we know this next generation of consumer cares about. Uh, we um, have launched a campaign Called Pick Your Style, Pick Your Stand, right? So it's still a way for with each purchase, you are, there's an associated give, and all purchases give at Tom's, but it's not a one-for-one, one, right? So when you purchase a product, you have the opportunity to choose where your give goes. And so we are looking at um, what is resonating with our consumer. And so we've chosen some new issue areas that we think we're gonna be committed to over the long term. Um, one of them is mental health, which has far and away exceeded our expectation of where people's passions are. We'll stay with ending gun violence. We also have a category of equality, which is a broad category for us right now. We're still kind of working through uh, where are people's passions, but that can mean anything from LGBT rights to female empowerment to uh, gender equality. All those sorts of things that were we're kind of working through, um, but where are people's passions in that equality bucket? And then homelessness, which we think is um, that gap in homelessness is becoming wider and wider mm. as we know in, our, mm. in the U.S. here. So we're testing this in the United States, uh, and the response has been incredible. It's another way for the consumer to engage. It's another way for them to feel closer to it. And what we're excited about is we'll be able to now make meaningful investments in the issue areas that our uh, teams are most passionate about.
0: Before we ended the interview, Amy left us with some parting words of advice.
2: is Stay hopeful, uh, be humble, and try to understand the human components of all of this. Because I think it's really easy to kind of get on into the stress fear of theory and, and all of those things, or to become overwhelmed with how big some of these issues are. And so the, the three H's that I kind of have written down and stuck at my desk help me through most days. Um, I also think the other big one that I just continually try to help my team understand is progress, not perfection. I just think business is moving too fast now for perfect. If you're going for perfect, you're not in the game. Uh, and so we're really, really working hard to be about progress, not perfection.
0: Since we recorded this interview, Tom's has now donated over 100 million pairs of shoes. And true to their spirit of constantly innovating, now they've evolved their giving model and are committing one third of their profits to grassroots good in support of people working to build a more equitable world starting in their communities, as well as totally refreshing the brand. They truly do believe that purpose is a journey, not a destination. So. We wanna say cheers to all the people who've been part of Tom's journey. And we just want them to know just how inspiring you've been to the rest of us um, to show us that it is possible to um, be successful, uh, be culturally relevant, to to make great products and be of service to people on the planet. That may be the most lasting lesson um,
1: that Tom's leaves uh, is the sense of hope Hope is, is, is really the fuel for all social change and all successful endeavors. You have to see the potential for something better or different than what exists right now in the present. And it's that hope that creates that vision. And, and it's the belief that that thing that you see, that thing that you want to be different or better or greater than what it is today is possible. That's the fire that you have to stay true to. And so that idea of staying hopeful is, is so essential and it's the, the thing that must be protected the most because it's the thing that once it becomes extinguished is the biggest contributor to, to losing and, and to failing because you, you stop seeing the hope and you stop pushing forward. And so I love Amy's insistence on staying hopeful and the fact that they continue to do that. all right we hope you have enjoyed this this is the last episode of this season yeah thanks a lot guys thank
0: you for being on this journey with us we hope that these field recordings really took you behind the scenes of what it was like to to meet the people uh, making change these ordinary people doing extraordinary things as we call them
1: you know these are the stories that we hope to bring you um, and to share with the world uh, through our book. Uh, Good is New Cool, The Principles of Purpose, which will be coming out this spring, Um, all in the hope that you see yourselves in their stories um, and that they somehow inspire you uh, to write your own story in terms of how you will make your own impact in the world. And so we hope this has helped you along your journey. Uh, We thank you for being a part of this and being part of ours. Um, We have so many more stories to tell and work to do. So stay in touch with us at uh, goodisthenewcool.com. Please buy the book. We hope that you uh, find it helpful and inspiring and let us know what your journey is on. And as always, let us know how we can be your allies along the way.
0: This episode of Good Is The New Cool, The Field Recordings, was hosted by myself, Aftal Aziz, and Bobby Jones. It featured Amy Smith, chief strategy
1: and impact officer at TOMS and was produced by Natalia Rodriguez. Go to goodisthenewcool.com to find out more about what we do and also where you can pick up your copy of The Principles of Purpose. You can also keep in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cool.
0: We want to thank you for joining us throughout the series. And if you enjoyed it, please share and keep in touch with us on social media. Let's keep this conversation going. But until then, be good, be kind, and don't forget to take care of each other.